Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us here today for our Congregation of Prayer, the Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer. We come to you each day. Today is December 4th, 2020. It's good to see you check in there in the chat. I see Grace, Don, Lori, and Michael, and I'm sure others too who haven't checked in. Um, thanks for uh, being with us this day. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, we say our memory verse for this week. From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. All right, we say our psalm, Psalm 101. I will sing of the steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless, O when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off the evildoers, all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. I see you checking in there, Eileen and, and Gus. Good to have you. And Roman, um, Lord be, Lord have mercy on you. We'll include you in our prayers again today. Our first reading is continuation of St. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. One of the things that strikes me uh, when we hear Paul's epistles 
is how much he expects us to already know. All right, so he uses language such as uh, being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. And he expects you to have um, a context there that helps you understand what he's talking about. Um, the presumption is that the church in Philippi knew exactly what he meant here. And so if it's not exactly clear to us, then it begs the question as to what is it that we do not know that they did know? Uh, what scripture, for example, is coming to play that we are not as familiar with as they would be. And of course, that's the language of the sacrifices from the Old Testament, the language of uh, the temple and the tabernacle and uh, what's going on there. So that's why we do well to study Leviticus, study Hebrews, um, study Deuteronomy, study the texts that have to do with the institution of those places. Then we'll understand how the New Testament church understood itself as the continuation of them, not as um, overcoming them, so to speak, but rather uh, consuming them, bringing them in to a new kind of focus. One of the other famous texts there uh, is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So uh, I've heard that spoken out of context. So saying, hey, Christians, you've got you've to uh, work hard to be a Christian, um, you know, to, to prove it to God, so to speak. Uh, but notice that Paul follows quickly with a phrase that explains what he means right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a way that salvation is yours. It's your possession. It's been given to you, of course, in Christ. And then he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. All right? So he's talking about actually not resisting the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God through the word and through the sacrament um, to make you his and to keep you in the salvation that he has purchased and won for you through his suffering and death. He's not talking about you putting in the effort. It's about you getting out of the way <laughs> with fear and trembling and receiving um, God's salvation in Christ. So there you go. Always be careful about uh, memory verse or verses that are put like on a famous meme and then posted on Facebook and doesn't have uh, the context that helps you understand what it actually is getting after, right? It's just like what we see there in verse 17 with the sacrifice. Oh, if you don't understand what's going on there, then look for a bigger context. Maybe the whole book of Philippians or also uh, the Old Testament, the scripture. All right. And let's continue with our catechesis from the book of Ruth. Again, today, continuing chapter four. It's not a long book. Just four chapters. Now, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the, from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, uh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. 
Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are, the, we are witnesses. The Lord made make the women, or excuse me, the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went in to her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. There ends the reading and the book. All right. So where did Boaz go? I'll go back to the beginning here. Yeah, he goes to the gate of the city. Of course, who sits at the gate of the city? Yeah, the elders. Yeah. Who did Boaz invite as witnesses uh, to the transaction? Or to witness the transaction that he's about to do. Yeah, he invited over 10 men, 10 of the elders of the city. Uh, why are there 10? What's the number 10 in the scriptures? Often symbolizes or represents the number of the law, right? Seeing the 10 words, the 10 commands, but also the fulfillment of the law, the keeping of the law. All right, what did Boaz first suggest that the kinsman redeemer should redeem? Right, he's kind of setting him up here a little bit. <laughs> he has a strategy in mind. Yeah, the piece of land that was owned by Elimelech, which uh, undoubtedly had laid fallow um, since Elimelech had left to go to Moab. And what did the nearest kinsman answer in verse 4? Yes, of course, I will redeem it. You know, he's thinking about gaining a little property. Not so bad. Uh, but then what responsibility does Boaz also remind him of. <laughs> Verse 5. Yeah, that also means that you need to provide a male descendant uh, for Ruth. 
right? Because that land, uh, well, because um, her husband, uh, the near kinsman, is also responsible for bearing children uh, for the deceased, you know, that the family name continue. How did the kinsman redeemer respond? Yeah, he could not redeem it. Could not redeem it. Uh, what did he fear? Yeah, that it would ruin his own inheritance. Um, of course, uh, this would be obvious, right? Because he's uh, presumably he's married, he has children and family, home. Um, but then to redeem um, uh, for another, well, for his near kinsman, who is deceased, is, well, it would bring some uh, tension into the home, right? Think of Rachel and Leah, who are mentioned later, right? Where you have the two wives, and there's a, there's a difficulty there, of course. There's a, what do you want to say, a jealousy between those two homes. There's, there's kind of a, a practical sense of childbearing here that I think is worth recognizing. I, I, sorry for a side note, but we'll take a little tangent here. Um, there was a conversation on uh, thinking in public, I think. No, it's the other, uh, the brief, or the briefing uh, with Al Mohler. Uh, he was talking about a, a study that came out that recognized that the, uh, the child seat laws have had an unintended consequence. Um, because most vehicles don't have a location for three child seats. Um, if you have three children in succession and they're all still in child seats, which would be the case if you know they're 18 or 24 months apart, something like that, or even 12 months apart, Irish twins, the, um, there's not a, in, in a typical vehicle, there's not three places to anchor and to hold a, a, a car seat. Uh, of course, you know, some vehicles like ours are able to do that, but most people don't own um, a 12 passenger van, right? So, um, that's had the unintended consequences, actually, an increase in abortion, but specifically women in their third conception. Right? And so we, we look and we say, well, there's actually a practical need for our country um, for, to encourage people to have families and large families, right? Just talking about citizens, taxpayers, workers, etc. Um, of course, there's God's command, of course, as well. Uh, but they have this kind of practical sense here, is to say the family name needs to continue on. You don't want to see any lineage cut short. And then the history of that person die out. Of course, this is all pointing forward to Jesus, which we'll get to in a minute. All right. So just side note there about the practicality of childbearing. <laughs> it's right here in the text. All right. So he doesn't want to ruin his own inheritance. You see that in verse five, uh, verse six, excuse me. Uh, then they talk about the custom and there is two widows, right? There's two widows here that are mentioned. Naomi, right, and also Ruth. Uh, of what should the two widows maybe remind us of? All right, the Old Testament and the New Testament church. All right, now you have a pretty cool way of signifying the transaction that uh, uh, this near kinsman is going to uh, forfeit his, his redemption over to, to Boaz, and they do it with a sandal, right? Why do you think sandals are used? This is, I think this is the only place it's recorded. Yeah, it's the only place it's recorded, this tradition. So it doesn't stick around. And we're not sure exactly where it came from. But sandals are, of course, connected to the feet. And we're talking about redemption here. So you have the feet of the Redeemer. Uh, in order to, to hand over the sandal, the foot of the Redeemer would be laid bare, indicating his willingness to pay the price of redemption. Of course, this, think of uh, Christ whose foot was laid bare. Um, and that's the, the serpent, of course, bit his heel, but he crushed his head. Um, 
this word redeeming or to be a redeemer, I, we haven't, well, we talked quite a bit about it yesterday, but uh, it's probably worth seeing how, I think there's an illusion, a strong illusion to this text. Allusion, by the way, not illusion. In John chapter 1, uh, in the words of John the Baptist, let me go there. Try to do it by memory, but we'll just jump there. All right, yeah, here we go. Oh, let's see. I am the one, or I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, this is verse 24. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there, one st there, there stands one among you whom you do not know. Now listen to this. It is he coming after me who has preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. And these things were done in Beth Arbor, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So maybe you've wondered where this what this expression is about from John, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. Right? This is John saying, I'm not the one who can redeem the people. Right? I'm not worthy to be the redeemer. That's Christ, right? Um, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? So John's not the Redeemer, but Christ is, right? And that's signified here by this sandal and not, not releasing Christ's sandal off his feet. There's no deal you can make with Christ. <laughs> he does all the redeeming. All right, back to the text. Verse 10, I'll scroll up here a little bit. Uh, looking at verse 10, what was maintained by the redemption of Naomi and Ruth? Two things. Yeah, the name of the dead is maintained as well as his inheritance, right? So this tribe and this name is going to be carried forward. And of course, it's the tribe and, and name of Jesus that Jesus belongs to, the messianic line. Um, so think of the famous genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, Salmon, it's just almost a direct quote here from Ruth. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. So, and Matthew just explicitly quotes this lineage and then continues from David um, through the wife of Uriah um, all the way to Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Sometimes we think genealogies aren't important, but you notice that um, Boaz's role here is to actually to um, continue the line of Christ the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham, uh, according to Matthew, uh, through David and all the way until himself. And there's, four, there's three patterns of 14 generations, according to Matthew. All right. What other group, all right, so we've got these 10 elders, right, along with Boaz, what other group of 11 men would be told they were witnesses of a transaction of the kinsman redeemer? <laughs> all right, so we've got 11. All right, and kinsman redeemer, we got that language. All right, yeah, this is, think of the, uh, the apostles after the betrayal of Judas. There's 11 left who are witnesses. Uh, this is how Luke says it at the end of uh, his gospel. He says, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Here it is. 
and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Of course, referring to the Spirit. All right. Uh, what did the eleven witness? Of course, there in, in Luke, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, which is the way that Christ redeems us. All right. Um, so after that witnessing, you see there is a blessing pronounced by the um, by the elders. What's the blessing? Yeah, you see this in verse 11, right? That the Lord would make her like Leah and like Rachel and make her prosper in Bethlehem. All right, how would she become like Rachel and Leah? Yeah, of course she bears, <laughs> she's the mother of one of Christ's ancestors, right? Just like Rachel and Leah. All right, how did Boaz become famous in Bethlehem? Because it says he would be famous in Bethlehem. Yeah, we hear about Boaz every Christmas time, right? As we hear the genealogy of Jesus. So he's, he's famous because of uh, the birth of his, uh, what is that? However many, however many great, great, great grandsons. Eh? What is the significance of mentioning Tamar? Isn't that curious? I think it is. You know, I mean, this is the, this is the daughter of Judah, or excuse me, the wife of Judah who plays, um, not the wife of Judah, excuse me, the wife of, oh, I just lost it. Well, it's in Genesis 38, so let's go look. It's a long chapter, but why do you think the significance of Tamar, all right? Yeah, because, of course, they bear the son by, she bears a son by Judah, but she's Judah's son-in-law, or excuse me, daughter-in-law. Uh, oh, yes, it was the three sons, right? Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar, right? But then Ur, of course, does not bear a son, and um, the Lord kills him, and then Onan, and then, of course, the third son is, I'm looking for the name, oh, Shelah, all right. And then she remains a widow, and then, of course, um, plays the harlot. I think the reason mentioning it here is this important note with Ruth. Um, she's a, from Moab, right? And Tamar, of course, is uh, a non-Israelite as well, who's been included in the inheritance. Of course, we also have um, the wife, as it says in Matthew, in the genealogy, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Of course, that's Bathsheba. But she's a Hittite, right? So you have um, you have all these foreign women who are included in Jesus' genealogy, which, of course, should be a hint that Jesus comes to redeem not only Israel, but also the Gentiles. All right, what key phrase is given in verse 13? The Lord gave her conception. So think of our um, sermon on, on Wednesday. It's the Lord who gives life. What should we read into verse 14, which mentions the kinsman redeemer after the birth of the child? Right, so then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. May he be a restorer. So they're still talking about more redemption happening, even after the birth or conception of this and birth of the son for her grandson. Yeah, these women are rightly pointing forward in faith towards the coming of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus. How is Ruth described in verse 15? 
Yeah, Ruth is described as better uh, to you than seven sons. All right, so then we have the genealogy we've talked about already. The name of the son of Boaz, uh, born by Ruth, is Obed. And the name of his grandson is Jesse, great-grandson, David, right? Um, So to whom is the family origin traced? Not through Boaz, although Boaz is mentioned, of course, right? But through Perez, the son of Judah and Tamar. And then Elimelech is somewhere along the line after them. All right. Meditation on this text. Bitterness is turned to joy as new life is raised up in the place of death. The inheritance that had been lost in death was restored as the land and the two widows were redeemed. As Boaz, Boaz did not fear uh, the risk of losing his own inheritance in order to redeem Ruth, so our Lord was willing to risk everything and place himself under the obligation of the law that he might redeem us. He laid aside his rightful inheritance that he might win for us an eternal inheritance. Once the women of Moab had seduced Israel into idolatry, but now the womb of the Moabitess Ruth produced an ancestor of Jesus. Truly the Lord has not left his people without a kinsman redeemer. The Lord laid his foot bare to crush the serpent's head and win our freedom. In Christ all nations are called to receive the gracious gift of the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the redeemer of the entire world. Through him we all become sons of Perez and Abraham. All right, so there concludes the book of Ruth. And uh, when we pick up with our um, sequential catechesis, we'll go to 1 Samuel, I believe, next week. Yeah, we're not quite to Christmas time yet. Of course, Samuel and Hannah, um, wonderful reading to have right before Christmas time because Hannah's song, uh, The Baron Hannah, as much like uh, her, her song, is almost, well, it's quoted almost verbatim by St. Mary uh, at the conception of Jesus. The Magnificat. Okay. Let's confess the second uh, petition, excuse me, of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit, so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Third petition, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. How is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come, and when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die. This is his good and gracious will. On this Friday, we pray for the preaching of the Holy Cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, for its spread throughout the whole world, for the persecuted, for the sick and dying. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray that the Lord give to all peoples concord and peace, that he preserve our land from discord and strife, that he give to our country protection in every time of need, that he direct and defend our president and all in authority, that he bless and protect our magistrates and all our people. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. 
On this day, we pray in Thanksgiving with Owen and Deborah and Gerald, who all celebrate their baptism. Of course, we continue to rejoice with Franklin James, who was baptized on Sunday. Pray for those who are ill, undergoing treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Kelsey, Jan, Ron, Reverend Herzog, Brad, Janet, and Timothy, Susan and Ken, Pastor Lindau, Sandy, Linda, Joan, Ken, and Penny. Pray for our homebound, Bev and David, Willis and Janice, and Mickey. And pray, pray for a place of refuge, our mission of the month, as well as Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray the collect for this week. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come, that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Today also has a commemoration. It is John of Damascus, theologian and hymn writer. John, uh, circa AD 675 to 749, is known as the great compiler and summarizer of the Orthodox faith and the last great Greek theologian. Born in Damascus, John gave up an influential position in the Islamic court to devote himself to the Christian faith. Around AD 716, he entered a monastery outside of Jerusalem and was ordained a priest. When the Byzantine emperor Leo the Isaurian in AD 726 issued a decree forbidding images, that is icons, John forcefully resisted. In his apostolic discourses, he argued for the legitimacy of the veneration of images, which earned him the condemnation of the iconoclast council in AD 754. John also wrote defenses of the Orthodox faith against contemporary heresies, and the one in particular is Islam. In addition, he was a gifted hymn writer, Come You Faithful, Raise the Strain, for example, and contributed to the liturgy of the Byzantine churches, that we call them the Greek Orthodox. His greatest work was The Fount of Wisdom, which was a massive compendium of truth from previous Christian theologians, covering practically every conceivable doctrinal topic. John's summary of the Orthodox faith left a lasting stamp on both the Eastern and Western churches. And also note, um, if you want to read through some John of Damascus, uh, you can do it with Pastor Riley and I um, on a couple episodes of the Band Books podcast uh, at 1517.org, John of Damascus, and we looked at his um, critique of, of Islam. And again, he served in a Muslim court. And his assessment, I'll just give you the cliff note version, is that Islam is actually a Christian heresy. So Muhammad took... Um, elements of Christian theology and Judaism, Christian scripture, and then distorted it for his own purpose. All right, let's pray. O Lord, through your servant John of Damascus, you proclaimed with power the mysteries of the true faith. Confirm our faith so that we may confess Jesus to be true God and true man, singing the praises of the risen Lord, and so that by the power of the resurrection we may also attain the joys of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Right, I also said that we'd include Roman, who's uh, joining us in our video on Facebook, in our chat. 
Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with your servant, Roman, who has been sick with an eye virus uh, for some time and is in need of your healing. Grant that healing according to your will and purpose, um, that he may uh, continue in, in his work, and if it be your will, um, to bless others through that work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdoms come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn for this week, Prepare the Royal Highway. Oh! 
all lands bow down before him. All nations now adore him. Hosanna to the Lord. For he fulfills God's word. His is no earthly kingdom. It comes from heaven above. His rule is peace and freedom and justice, truth and love. Let your praise be sounding for kindness abounding. Hosanna to the Lord, for he fulfills God's word. All right, that concludes our congregation of prayer for today, December 4th, 2020. So glad to have you with us all. And again, that concludes our catechesis through the book of Ruth. Again, apologies for not covering Ruth chapter 2. Uh, that was not intentional that I skipped that. Um, but also, yeah, we covered it a little bit yesterday. Uh, tomorrow, of course, we'll continue with our congregation of prayer, um, but do so looking forward to Sunday's readings for the second Sunday in Advent. So uh, join us for that if you're at all able in the morning. Otherwise, you can, of course, watch it on replay or delay later in the day, both on Facebook, YouTube, um, as a podcast, audio podcast, or for our homebound now and or those without internet, they can listen uh, by calling in to dial a podcast, right? So many ways to uh, receive and to be blessed with God's word. All right. So Lord be with you all, and we'll see you again tomorrow.